Guess who? It's Jim. Yeah, seems like I'm actually fulfilling my dream of putting out a weekly show now. Um, I'm actually recording this at work, which is crazy. I guess I am officially addicted to putting out content. So I hope, hopefully you've been happy with the recent episodes. And we're back once again with a, another bonus episode and a spectacular special guest. I don't know if you want to leave this for Ron or whoever, but Linda brought it back. Oh, wow. The hands don't... They, she bought it here. Oh, yeah. The front, but the hands... Uh-oh. Okay. okay, sorry about that. I, I insist that I'm on my break. I'm not slacking off at work. That's not my style. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, um, you're probably wondering who the special guest is. No, you probably aren't because you've read the title of this episode. So I surprised Patrick by calling him out of the blue to see if he would like to appear on the podcast to talk about his plans for an October bonus episode that he's doing with Gabe Powers. Now, if you remember last year, they did a really fun discussion on horror films that people voted on, and they're doing a sequel to the horror show episode from last year, which was a big hit. And I am encouraging you all to go to Patrick's Letterboxd at letterboxd.com slash Patrick Uh And I also have to include a correction here um, because during our conversation, Patrick gave out a link that does not work. And the correct link now is bit.ly slash dchorror1. So whenever Patrick brings up the link in that episode, just keep in mind that it's actually bit.ly slash dchorror1. And don't worry, I'm going to include it in, I'm going to include the correct link in the show notes, of course. But really, you should just follow Patrick on Letterboxd, since that's the only place you can find him now when it comes to social media, and I encourage you to do so. Also, him and I address my podcast, Addiction which personally I think is way healthier than cigarettes and alcohol. Um, honestly, I don't really admit that I have a problem, um, and you can sort of be the judge of whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, for me, uh, it brings me pleasure and joy to listen to people talk about the things they love, and I'm happy to continue to bring you content, whether you choose to download it or keep it or wait or whatever you choose to do with the, <laughs> the subscription to this podcast. And uh, there's going to be a lot more to come. Uh, and don't worry, I know I mentioned at one point that there's going to be more spinoff shows that I'm going to be doing. That's not true. <laughs> I'm really only, only going to be doing Directors Club and Pop Culture Club. But like I mentioned, I will be welcoming two more shows in the new year, hosted by uh, a couple of guys that I think will be great. And for the next episode, there's going to be some more elaboration about my remastered, re-released CD. Um, I don't even know why I'm calling it a CD, because it's only going to be available online. And um, it's going to be a way for you to contribute to the show. 
So hopefully you'll be inclined to do that, maybe even as a Christmas present, <laughs> if you want to frame it that way. Uh, but I promise, soon enough, this show, especially as we reach episode 100, it's going to become better and more interactive, without losing its charm and terrible puns. So let's get to that spontaneous, unexpected, intrusive phone call in which I convinced Patrick to talk to me and to all of you for a very special bonus episode. Thanks for listening and for all your support. You guys are great. I love you. Patrick, my primitive painter of art, you will always endeavor. Be near to my heart, I will never cross water. Never cross sea, we will always be with you, Jordan and the enemy. Please be home, be home, be home. Pick up, pick up, pick up. Jim? Hey, Patrick. Hi. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm okay. What, why? What's, what's up? What's going on? Well, I hope you're not too busy and can talk for a bit. I figure I'd try and reach you uh, on Google Chat as opposed to on the phone. Yeah, well, that's probably a good idea. I don't have my phone on. I when I'm inside, I like to have. I I don't normally have my pants on, and therefore my phone is usually away from me. Yeah, <laughs> so, understandable. Uh, you know, I don't have air conditioning in this apartment, but um, oh. yeah, I'm I'm not too busy. Why? What, what's going on? Well, um, I was uh thinking about uh coming up with something here if you'll bear with me for a second so let's do this hello everybody welcome to the director's club podcast and i have a surprise for you (laughs) wait a second what are you doing i have a guest whose voice you're gonna recognize why are you wait okay i'm sorry go on go ahead finish this yes everybody I have found the one, the only, former co-host, my dear friend, and uh, movie compadre. I don't know what that means, but he is Patrick Rapol, and I I decided to um, just uh, ask him to come on for a bit here and do a little little podcast. Remember remember when we used to do this? Not exactly what you've done. For those listening at home, uh, Jim just called me on Skype randomly, and I uh, or, or on Google Chat, I guess randomly, yeah. and and then just went into the. I don't know what's going on, but um, okay, why? Uh, I do remember when we did this, and <laughs> well, that, that, you know what? What sparked this idea was. Um, Bill Ackerman had found our lost Groundhog Day episode where we just sort of shot the shit for an hour because we were locked indoors because of a massive snowstorm that year. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And I thought I thought it'd be great if we could do an episode like that, just sort of on the fly, you know? I it's on the I think I think maybe at this point it's an illness. <laughs> Chip with you. I um, Oh no. I like like um when I was on the when I was 
on Directors Club, I kind of had this thought in my head that I wanted to do more weird things and I wanted to go out there and that I and that I was sort of being held back by you and that you were sort of more you wanted to stick sort of to the structure. And now I've actually realized that you are this crazy person who <laughs> who I've let loose into the world. Like that episode of the Twilight Zone where the guy finds the person imprisoned who claims to be, you know, innocent, but it turns out when he lets him free that it was the devil the whole time and he lets the devil loose on the earth. Like I've let the devil loose on the earth, the podcasting devil um, who is just Jim Lauskowski completely unhinged doing weird episodes that are just hodgepodges of nothing. Like you, you're, <laughs> you're, you're like that. I just did one, one fairly recently. Um, it was like the musical smorgasbord of weird stuff that I had sitting in a hard drive. I, I was I was happy with that. That's all you've released, but also like we went to see F for Fake together, which was <laughs> great. It was it was it was great. It's it was incredible. It's the first time I'd seen F for Fake, and it was it's an incredible movie. But we were we were at the urinals, and you just started to ask me about the movie, and I was sort of talking, and I saw you had your phone out, and you were recording <laughs> us. Um, like you're you're genuinely sick, man. You're obsessed. Well, I I remember uh, telling Bill that if you had made it up to visit, which I understand it, it, it's a long bus ride. It, you know, public transportation isn't always very accessible and easy to get to. But if you had made it up to visit me and Bill, um, I was gonna surprise you. Then I was gonna uh, on the car ride home just whip out my phone and. Have a conversation there and do an extended what we watch segment. We did this with the uh, sci-fi thing too, where I just took out a tape recorder yeah. and started recording us uh, talking about all the movies we saw. That's true. Uh, another lost episode, but that one's definitely gone. I hope. <laughs> yeah, that didn't turn out too well, if you remember. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, it, so it's what, been fun what is your what is your idea for this episode? Uh, I don't really know. Like I don't have any specific structure or plan necessarily. Okay. I mean, I uh, I've been enjoying like just these offshoots. I mean, obviously the pop culture club is kind of the spinoff thing I'm doing, and it, you know, with interviews and stuff, it's been going really well, and I've really had a good time doing that. Obviously, those are more structured and less wacky, but um, I don't know. I mean. I was seriously thinking of uh, starting another podcast where I just call my friends that I haven't talked to in a long time and just catch up with them and see how they're doing. I don't you know. know. <laughs> ask them about their kids. Um, okay. And uh, their pets. Their pets. And uh, you know, ask them if they're happy and content with their lives. I don't know. Um you know, I have a lot of Facebook friends, and I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of names on here I don't know very well. So I was thinking I could start another podcast where I just call these people that, you know, I just sort of added randomly throughout the years. And I don't really know who they are. Like, I don't have a strong association or past with them. So that could be another offshoot. I you know, thinking. you're just describing the villain subplot in uh, While We're Young. Uh <laughs> like you're just oh, shit. you're just being Adam what's his name from while we're young Adam just, West? No, yeah I wish uh, what's his name from Girls? 
uh, Adam Driver. At, you're just being Adam Driver from while you're young. All, <sighs> while we're young with that. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. I could be turning into Greta Gerwig from Mistress America. Have you seen that yet? Not yet. It's okay. not on DVD, so I haven't okay. seen it. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I, in all seriousness, I'm not going to go that crazy. Um, I mean, I've been definitely trying to put out an episode a week of some kind, and I just, I don't know, I felt inspired to call you and just check in and spontaneously present this idea of doing an episode off the cuff. Well, it actually, it, it's not a bad, it's not bad timing because I've been working on, you, you remember the, the horror, the big horror show that we did, that me yes. and Gabe did last year? Big hit. Well, we enjoyed doing it and we're going to do it again this year. Sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, are you are you recording me right now? Is this is this legitimately? Yes, absolutely. Okay, it's uh, full okay. on bonus episode <laughs> territory, buddy. All right. Well, in that case, um, yeah, then I might as well talk to uh, your listeners. Um, I'm going to do another episode of the Big Horror Show. If you remember, if you guys remember last year, um, I wanted to do a uh, a horror Halloween kind of an episode where we talked about horror movies that don't normally get talked about. So the idea was we had listeners send in top 10 lists um, of their top 10 favorite horror movies of all time, except there were 20 films that were banned. Um, Those 20 films were The Exorcist, The Thing from John Carpenter, Alien, Dawn of the Dead from George Romero, Halloween by John Carpenter, Night of the Living Dead by George Romero, The Shining, uh, Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, A Now American Werewolf in London, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Toby Hooper, uh, Carrie by Brian De Palma, Jaws, Frankenstein by James Whale, uh, Nosferatu by uh, F.W. Murnau, uh, Scream uh, by Wes Craven, Evil Dead by Sam Raimi, Evil Dead 2. Uh, the Fly by David Cronenberg, Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski, and Silence of the Lambs. Now, all of those were off limits because we had heard enough about them. Um, and then we had you guys send in top 10 lists, and we ended up with, I think, something close to 267 movies. Uh, or no, no, it was a hundred and it was 160 movies that wow. we ended up with all together from, from your lists. Um, and we're going to do it again this year. And now the movies that are off limits include those 20 movies that I just named and every single movie that was named on the last episode. All uh, 160 movies that, that you guys sent in last time. That's uh, nuts. Um, you're going to have to compile that into a list and I'll publish it on the actual website too. Yeah, yeah. If you go to bit.ly uh, slash horror. Um, it'll send you to a link to a letterbox list that has every single off-limits movie. Oh, look at that. You're on the ball. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah, what you're doing. Yeah, so all of those movies have been already compiled. Uh, it was 160 of them. Uh, it was a lot of movies, but there's still a lot of really good movies that aren't on that list. Um, one of them were was a movie that actually got three votes, but because of a clerical error, I didn't talk about on the podcast, and that was Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, no shit. So, Drag Me to Hell is still up for grabs this year, Woo-hoo! I've decided. So, you can put Drag Me to Hell on your list. But, yeah, so go to bit.ly slash dchorror um, and see the full list of all of the movies that are off limits. Um, and then, using that as your guide, send us your top ten favorite horror movies. And we understand at this point, if you start getting into movies that 
maybe you couldn't necessarily defend as great, uh, but you still love a lot or you still have a lot of fondness for or you are nostalgic for or something like that. Um, so, you know, go ahead, send those lists in and we'll compile them. And then me and Gabe are going to do it again this year. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to do a third year. We'll see if we can do a third year. That'd be incredible. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but right now we're just worried about this year. So bit.ly slash DC horror. Well, everything's turned into a trilogy, so I'm hoping you will do a third. Um, but yeah, that's got to be crazy for people to have such res- a restriction now with 160 titles. But yeah, I mean, it, it is. But on the table. other hand, like, Cat People isn't on that list, you know? The uh, Messiah of Evil isn't on that list. Uh, there's not a single Friday the 13th movie that's on that list. There's oh, still a lot okay. that's, there's a lot that's still on the table. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners clearly are fans. They participated in the in the last uh, episode with that, with the last horror show episode. And it's actually one of our more downloaded episodes. Yeah. Well, that's, that's I'm, and I'm, and I'm happy about that. And that's Me too. Part of why we're doing it again this year is because clearly people enjoyed it and it was fun to, to put together and to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, just one more time, bit.ly slash DC Horror, and then you'll be all set uh, with the list of banned movies. Um, send in your top ten list to directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Um, Jim, I'm assuming you're going to forward me oh, yeah, all yeah, of those. Yeah. Okay, so. Unless they put Poltergeist 3 as their number one choice, I probably won't forward that list to you. Sure. But uh, everything else, yeah, for sure. Poltergeist 2, still up for grabs. Oh. It's okay. There, it has moments, for it sure. Has its, it has its fans. Yeah. At, anyway, at any rate, Jim, hmm. uh, me and Gabe are going to do that in October. Thank the Lord. Um, October is a hot month here. It's, it's one of our favorite... It's my favorite month of the year, I come to realize, because... Uh, pumpkin flavor is in full effect. It's actually are sta- you a, it's actually you're started. A, you're you're a pumpkin guy. Yeah. Do you you don't do you drink pumpkin flavored beer? Um. Or are I'm, you pumpkin flavored latte kind of guy? Uh, I'm more I'm more of the caffeine fiend. But um, I will I will definitely try a pumpkin beer. I don't think I would buy it um, regularly or anything. I'll try pumpkin anything. I had pumpkin snickerdoodle cookies at work today, and I thought I was going to faint from how good they were. Okay, I didn't. I didn't know the context for your fainting there. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know how the pumpkin thing happened. Something must have happened in my childhood. I don't know where it's come from. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with pumpkin. I mean, it, it's definitely a craze now more than ever, to where everything is flavored with pumpkin. Um, so it's kind of scary sometimes, but, uh, Hey, uh, once, uh, pumpkin lattes start coming out, I'm, 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 I'm on board. And that's kind of, that's kind of like also an indication that, um, you know, the weather's going to cool down. I can get out some hoodies pretty soon and I can start binging on horror movies because, uh, that's, that's the most wonderful time of the year. It beats Christmas for me. Mm hmm. Um, I will not be making it to the Music Box of Horrors this year, sadly, because uh, Child's Play 2 
is my favorite of the Child's Play series. Um, but I will be doing something fun. I will be going to the Flyway Film Festival over in Pepin, Wisconsin. I believe Andrew James, Kurt Halfyard, Matt Gamble, and James Gillum, uh, amongst others, will be there in attendance. And we are renting a cabin in the woods, I think. Um, so... Okay, so this is the end. Do you, are there, much. Is there anything you want to you want to say goodbye to the list? I mean, you're renting a cabin in the woods, so that is that's the end of you. You're gonna look. I don't I don't want to insult you, but you're the first one to be dismembered. You you've never had any illusions about uh, that, right? Like if you were in a slasher movie, you'd be the first one gone. Matt Gamble has the worst taste in film, so I think he should be the first to go. He's the most. Okay, so Matt Gamble. So here's the thing. You're the dork who gets killed first. Matt Gamble is the obnoxious one who they save because they where Ugh. the where the filmmakers want you to hate him so that you you know they they have him screaming about Brian De Palma or something and then they to build up your hatred towards him and then they save it and they build it up and he's like the third or the second to last to get killed. Yeah. I but guess. you you get you get knocked off right away. I, I don't want to. But who's going to be there to record anything? Who's going to be there to record everything? I wanted to, I wanted to. I was bring bring a cassette tape recorder and everything and record everything that takes place. Look, this is this is not a found footage movie. It's Cabin in the Woods. It's a slasher movie. You're going to die. Wow. <laughs> You're going to die first. What about uh, Merman? Can't Merman come finally? He should. He deserves his uh, you know due. I think. We get our yeah. choice. I mean, don't we? Uh, well, actually, we we don't have control over who comes to get us. I guess. No, you don't. All right. I need to rewatch that again. It's been a while. You know. I mean, you you have your you have choice, but you don't know that you have choice until you've made the choice. I see. You pick up a random sort of idol or object that is associated with the monster that's going to kill you. Oh, that's right. But you don't necessarily know what corresponds to what. Hmm. Someone had a co- big conch shell. I'm assuming that's the merman. <laughs> but before that was blown into, someone reads the diary of the zombie rednecks. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Who would I... What is, what is the Flyaway Film Honest, Festival? Uh, I don't know. Okay, I, I just know. I just know that uh, all those guys over there in Minnesota, they have... Uh, a strong association with it like they know the people in charge of it so they get some perks um i know at least a couple of decent films have played there in the past that uh you know andrew has talked about on the cinecast that uh you know he, he reviews and gives a thumbs up to and they eventually came out in the fall i don't think it's like gonna be the new charlie kaufman movie or anything but uh, probably very low budget stuff that hopefully um, is worth the time and effort. But uh, I'm I'm more or less going to socialize with uh, uh, some movie nerds in person as opposed to just through microphones and just to have that experience and to stay in a cabin in the woods. So what the hell? Might as well. Should be fun. Might as well go dowsing. Go find yourself a nice piece of applewood and and <laughs> dig a well. I like applewood bacon. Yeah, it's not nah, not the same thing. Have you ever you ever been dowsing? You ever taken a dowsing rod out into the woods? Mm-mm. Okay, well, new new experiences, Jim. Even even at even at your ripe old age, you're going to get new experiences. Um, I'm all for it. I just want to mm-hmm. make sure I bring 
um, my cassette recorder, a backup mic, an iPad, everything I can to uh, archive everything that happens there. Because you just never know. You're a nut. I, I know that. Um, I, <laughs> you say you never know, but I know that you're <laughs> insane. Well, Patrick, I mean, I, I, I believe me, I envy you. Every single day, I think, I wish I could just go off the grid entirely. But uh, I built this podcast on rock and roll. That's true. Um, and I now, now say one more line from that song, though. If you could say one more line, if you remember um, a single other lyric from that song, then I remember our. I think I remember the parody song more than the actual yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Which is scary. That's, That's actually fun. the song where I comment on how long our podcast is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you are having a grand old time doing the this podcast now, and I, I, uh, I, you know, I'm very happy for you. I'm very happy that your interview with the guy from Low is our most downloaded episode. Yeah, the well, Matthew Sweet, Low, and now uh, Rachel Grimes. Rachel was like. She's super nice. She's like, I'm going to post it on my website. She posted on her Facebook page. She wrote mm-hmm. me a personal email saying how good the interview was. I was like, what the fuck? I didn't know this could happen. Oh, she's just, she's being, she's being courteous. That's, yeah. a, that's a nice, courteous thing to do. I know. But usually you're just going through publicists in the moment the interview is done and you just put it up and that's it. But yeah. uh, it's nice to get some follow through afterwards that's uh, complimentary and uh, it, it just, um, it's a good feeling. And I want to keep doing it, and I want to keep talking to people that uh, whose work I'm familiar with. And as uh, I'm known to tease, uh, a director you and I both love very, very much has agreed to appear in the near future. But I'm not going to say you who have it is. A, you haven't even told me who it is. Oh, like, you know off who it air. is by now. I don't know who it is. What? I thought I gave you a clear enough hint, and then you, you even- gave me you gave me a hint that applied to exactly two directors, and it could be either one. Um, it's the You'll, tell. <laughs> go ahead, tell me off the air. It's the one who writes amazing scores. Okay, well now now everybody knows. No, I don't know. There's some directors that write score like John Carpenter. Yeah, it might be John Carpenter. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, oh uh, so, yeah, I wanted to bring up something else. I'm probably going to bring this up later on, obviously, ad nauseum, knowing me. But um, I will probably mention this again on an official episode. But I would like to ask the listeners, at some point, uh, probably not immediately after you listen to this episode, but in, this, in the not-too-distant future, if you're feeling generous to throw some bones my way... Uh, if they're inclined, if you're so inclined, uh, I'm putting out a remastered version of a record that I'm very proud of. It was released in 2005, so it is the 10th anniversary of um, this record I put out called Deathless. And it's going to be available on iTunes for eight bucks. And if you want to buy it, I guarantee you those proceeds go to the hosting server for the podcast. They're going to go to um, eventually a podcast network of sorts that I'm sort of ironing out the kinks with um, 
but that will be happening early next year. So once, obviously links will be posted once they're up, um, once it's all officialized. I mean, it's, the, I'm still ironing out kinks too, because for some reason, even though I've asked most of the sites to remove the old automatic pilot version, it's still floating out there for some reason. And I would like people to only purchase the Garden on a Trampoline 2015 version of Deathless, because it's remastered, it sounds great, um, I tighten automatic up. automatic pi- automatic pilot being your old artist name, and then Garden yeah. of Trampoline being on your new artist name. For those who those who haven't followed your career like I have, um, well, yeah, and <laughs> that part of the reason why the name change kind of had to happen anyway is because if you go into iTunes and type in automatic pilot, you um, will encounter a San Francisco jazz band by that exact same name. And so, like, our records, my records were getting mixed up with their records, and I don't know, I know there, I don't think there's going to be another band by the name of Garden on Trampoline anytime soon, so I'm sticking with that name from here on out. No more changes. That, that's no, that. It's, that's a good name. It fits. Yeah. And it's a reference to all the real girls, so it just, it does fit in a lot of ways. So if you're kind enough in the future to pick up this re-release, like I said, it's going to um, help out the podcast. That's kind of like, if you want to donate, you get a good record out of the deal. Um, And I have two dudes on board that I think will be great, reliable um, welcome members to this podcast endeavor um, that I'm hoping will... Uh, find its legs early next year. Um, you know, since I, I've done my own spinoff show now with Pop Culture Club, and it's going to get its own feed finally, so that's another reason why I'm like, uh, I should probably ask people to, if they feel like it, I'm not making you. I don't really think you have to pay, <laughs> you know, for a podcast. But obviously, most podcasts say, hey, if you want to throw a donation, do so if you like, and I'm going to start doing that. And you'll get some good music out of the deal, I I think, anyway. Um, And also, finally, I'm going to be giving away an Amazon gift card for $25 at the end of the year for episode 100. To to whom? Um, (laughs) To me? (laughs) (laughs) No, to, uh, to the listeners out there. I mean, we did this very, very early on. So you're going to do a, a listener poll? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I just want to fill up my email inbox and get some feedback and um, just basically compile all the names, throw them in a hat, and uh, whatever name I draw out of that hat will receive an Amazon gift card around Christmas time. So uh, obviously all that will be talked about ad nauseum throughout the rest of the episodes. So I just wanted to bring that stuff up now. As like a, a get get ready for it, baby, it's coming. Okay, <laughs> I sound like Bruce Campbell for a second. Sorry. Yeah, you you tried to sound like Bruce Campbell for a second. That's it's good enough. Okay. So, um, what's the weather like? You know, at the beginning of the Groundhog Day episode, we talked about the weather. I I think it's far too late to talk about the weather. Okay, that's true. Let's not do that. You know what's crazy? Twenty years to the, twenty years ago today, I saw the movie Seven uh, on its opening day. Okay, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
yeah! Yeah, when Sloth jumped out, man, holy shit, that whole theater jumped together. Sure. Yeah. It's a good moment. It's yeah. a good movie. Yeah, it is a good movie. I think we had a kerfuffle of sorts with uh, Ren on the episode, the David Fincher episode about the ending. Uh, I haven't rewatched uh, yeah, just a disagreement. Yeah, I haven't I haven't rewatched it since, but uh, yeah, no, it is a, it is a really good movie for sure. Um, and ten years ago today, I became addicted to my first TV show in years, and that was Lost. I don't know what that means. Your first TV show, and was that mean the first TV show you ever addicted oh, to? Well, or no. <laughs> I guess the way I said that came out funny, but I became. Uh, just enthralled with a TV show for the first time in many years, I should and say. And w- before Lost, what was the TV show you were enthralled with? Uh, probably Buffy. Yeah, I th- I would say Buffy. I was kind okay. of like a, a, a Josh Whedon guy for a while. And before that, um, Sliders. Sliders. <laughs> you know, Sliders is on Netflix now. Yeah. I, I watched I watched an episode of Sliders on Netflix a couple days ago. It was the it's the only episode of Sliders I ever remember watching when it aired, and it's the one where they go to the world where everything's perfect and there's a lottery, and they just get to draw as much money as they want at the ATM, but the lottery winners get killed, <laughs> and that's and that's and that's like the idea is just like if you get selected for the lottery, you sacrifice yourself, and the population is low, and therefore the world is perfect. Wow. Do you remember I that do. one? Man, it's been so long. If I just started binging on those, I don't know what would happen to my brain. You should probably just start watching Sliders and see what happens. I, I should. That's pop culture. There's, yeah, there should be a Sliders spinoff show. <laughs> what what spinoff? <laughs> Who gets the spinoff? What memorable character from Sliders? Would it be Natalie from Sports Night? Would you oh want Natalie God, from Sports Night her. to be... What's her? What's the? What's that actress's name? She's also in Sliders, uh, but I don't remember her character's name from Sliders. Her character's name was Wade. And okay, um, so you want Wade from Sliders to have her own spinoff of show? So what was her spinoff show be? Um, her sliding into other universes and doing good things. Okay, so just like <laughs> you just you just want to remove all the other characters except for Wade. Sure, why not? Okay. You know, it's funny because, like, um, you know, obviously, I, uh, you know, I have always had crushes on girls with short hair, and uh, that 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 was one of my earliest memories of being really uh, taken with uh, that character. And um, in in some way, like uh, I think Sabrina Lloyd and uh, Amy Simitz, they, they they look they look a little alike. Sabrina Lloyd, yes, that's yes, her name. Yes, yes. Sabrina Lloyd. Yes. I don't know what happened to her, but sadly, you may also remember her from your favorite Hal Hartley movie, The Girl from Monday. I don't remember her from The Girl from Monday. I just remember me screaming uh, <laughs> and pulling and pulling my hair out. That's all I remember from The Girl from Monday. Um, but Sabrina Lloyd, I remember. From Sports Night. Natalie from Sports Night. She's the greatest. I have not watched Sports Night, and I'm beating myself up right now as we speak. Yeah, anyway, I mean, if you haven't seen Sports Night, then you should... I don't know. It's not great. It's an Aaron Sorkin thing, but you should see Sports Night. It's fun. Yeah. I I imagine it is, because I do like Aaron Sorkin. I don't love him, but uh, I'm sure there's some good dialogue. 
and uh, it's a good cast. So I'll I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Regine has been rewatching Mad Men, um, oh, and yeah? I, and I've been catching it uh, when I'm home, um, and it's it's fun to watch Mad Men and to realize how amazing that show is and how amazing it wouldn't be if it was an Aaron Sorkin show because every because every episode would just have some kind of climax where Peggy talked about feminism or like how hard it was <laughs> to be a woman in the office or like every episode would just have to have some kind of social issue shoehorned in there's a yeah. scene there's like a there's like an episode of sports night that's just like dan and whatever his name is just like they're fighting and they're being goofballs or whatever and then all of a sudden one of the characters has this like super earnest speech about how terrible hunting is and how it's not a sport and how it's like how it's just murder and how hunting is terrible like oh yeah that and i think there was a newsroom episode where it gets really um intense and preachy uh about what goes on on college campuses i mean obviously it's it's a it's a relevant issue i know there's a whole documentary that's come out called the hunting ground about uh date rape on college campuses and stuff i i haven't seen that episode i just remember it, it caused an uproar amongst people i don't know if it was you know what aaron sorkin specifically had said or what or his take on things but it was just a controversial episode he's He's known for that. He's known he turned, to get on his soapbox. He was, he was he was pro date rape. That was why it was such a controversial uh, episode. I don't think so. He at the end of the episode there were hotlines where you could call and order roofies. That was the controversial ending to that episode. Hmm. No, that was after you walked out of Wolf of Wall Street. I think uh, Ludes came back and you could order them yeah, through those, an app. That's a different thing. That's, that's a different true. thing. Um, speaking of lewds, they're, they're, yes, <laughs> I bet everybody loves it by now. When I go speaking of something to see if the segue is going to be successful or not, and by me just saying that the sex the segue has been unsuccessful. That's terrible segue. Yes, go on. Okay, so speaking of lewds, maybe I'll just edit that whole last thing out. No, I probably won't. But um, I saw. An interesting movie that Bill Ackerman has recommended many, many times. And he told me if I didn't see it, he was going to saw off my legs. So I figure I better track this puppy down. And it's a movie called Chilly Scenes of Winter. It's essentially modern romance and high fidelity, uh, only more meaner and more direct, better edited. Uh... And has some amazing dialogue. I'm actually going to buy the book because I love the movie so much. And it's one of my new all-time favorite breakup doomed love stories. Um, it stars John Hurd, who falls in love with a co-worker, play, a married co-worker, played by Mary Beth Hurt. And on one hand, it you know you can sort of... It's not going to stand out visually in any way. It's not like the, you know, the camera work is spectacular. It's... It could have been a stage play in a way, uh, but that's the thing: is like the characters interact in a way that's very genuine, but also kind of stagey. And there are certain moments that ma- that make it seem like it could have been a mammoth play, with, with lines like "I am going to rape you" at a very vulnerable moment in the movie that just sort of comes out of nowhere. But it just like it, it's just so 
insane and intense and crazy to hear something like that. I think that I think clearly the author of this book and the director had no qualms with making uh, both of these characters look like complete assholes, both to us and to each other on screen. So it's this movie is kind of like the blueprint for the stuff that Bombach would go on to do, or something like Young Adult. It's just really raw, um, and it's just a great character when, study. When did it come out? Uh, I should have that available whenever when I'm going to talk about it. I think in the late seventies. Okay. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Bill is probably yelling if I'm incorrect on that, but um, it's not easy to find. The only way I found it was by ordering it through Amazon, which I want to say is a DVD-R that they are res- responsible for putting out, I guess. Like, Who is they? Amazon. Like, Amazon. Like, they burned out-of-print, hard-to-find movies onto, like, DVD-Rs, I guess, for a while. They did that with Lisa, I remember. Um Lisa has an actual release now. Yes, thank God. But uh, early on, I remember like out-of-print movies that you could not find. I guess it was maybe just a VHS dub or a Laserdisc dub of some kind that uh, they would put on a DVD-R. Because this is weird. When um, I put the DVD in my computer for Chilly Scenes of Winter, it actually came up as Wicker Park for some reason. And I don't know why. Um, and it has one of those horrible still shot menus that, you know, just looks terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, I mean, so I don't know. It, and it's it's only available in a two-pack with um, another John Heard movie called Cutter's Way with Jeff Bridges, which I'm going to watch soon, too. It's just, it's a shame because I think uh, I think it's a movie that deserves more attention and should should get a Blu-ray release and... These days, a lot of interesting out-of-print movies, especially in the horror genre, are getting uh, supreme Blu-ray releases. Uh, I don't know if Chili Scenes of Winter is going to be one of them anytime soon, but it's a really caustic and realistic take on romantic love that might be on par with something like uh, Manhattan, at least for me. So um, I don't know if you'll respond as strongly to it or not, but um, thank you, Bill, for recommending that puppy. I'm okay. just gonna. Call, I'm starting to call movies puppies, and I don't know why. I've done that twice already, so that's weird. That's it's just your thing now. I guess it's it calling sort of, movies puppies. It just sort of happened spontaneously and organically here on this podcast. So if it starts happening regularly, you know the source. You, you know its origins right here. I suppose so. What have you seen that's uh, tickled your fancy? Oh God, I don't know. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't watch things anymore thinking, oh, I got to say, I got to remember this for next podcast. Well, just pretend we're uh, hanging out. Yeah, no, I know. I'm trying to think, <laughs> but I'm just saying I, there was a, there was a point in time where I would just be like, oh yeah, this, this is a real one. This is, I got to say, uh, I can say zombie is really good. Yeah. I still need to see that. I'm a dick. I need to see the Lucio. Lucio Fulci's zombie. You know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna scroll backwards through my letterbox reviews and see anything that I. So sorry about that, but zombie is really good. Lucio Fulci movie. Yeah. 
sort of related crazies. Which the crazies, the George Romero movie. I just watched for the first time and really, really liked as well. Um, the way it's edited really made me nervous. Like it, it's crazy at times. It's very fast paced, but it's clear. It's like that's that was what was so impressive to me is that it's it, the storytelling in it is very clear yeah. and it's very uh, a sense of scale is very good in that. But wouldn't movie. you? It's not. Wouldn't you call the editing frantic at times though? Like. Yeah, yeah, it, it's fran- it's frantic, but I wouldn't say it's like sloppy or anything. Like I would say that it's that you always know exactly what's going on or what's trying to be sure. said with the editing. It's not like uh, I don't know performance by Nicholas Rogue or anything like super crazy where it goes yeah. into expressionist modes that you don't understand or anything. It's it's very. I mean, it doesn't. They don't have the budget for something like the movie Contagion, but it's very much doing a similar thing that contagion does where it's telling the story of the people in the town who don't exactly know what's going on. And it's telling the people who are in charge of handling the crisis and they don't know what's going on. And you just see all these little bits and pieces and you see everyone kind of intersecting with each other and everything fucking up. And it's a really good, uh, Vietnam kind of a horror movie because it's this like small scale military operation where it's like, all right, there's this outbreak of this one disease in this tiny small town in Pennsylvania, we can handle it, but slowly it just everything catastrophizes and it goes out of hand, and people are just shooting people in the streets, and no one's trusting anyone. And it's also very Kent State because the idea is that there are these military people who have to basically it's a it's a bacteria or a virus or something that makes people go crazy and run towards you and attack you, which is, you know, it's not that far from what a lot of zombie movies end up being. Um, but the idea is that there are all these military people who have to come into this town and they have to, you know, gather everyone into a single location. They have to quarantine, but they don't know who's being hostile towards them because they're an occupying force in this small Pennsylvania town or who's being hostile towards them because they're infected. Um, and, that ends up being a really good metaphor for like Kent state and riot control and stuff like that, where, you know, they think that, you know, that were people fired upon innocent people because they thought they needed to, because they were scared. And so as a sort of a reaction to all of that, I think the crazy is a really good horror movie. I I would concur. I would, I don't have a vivid memory of the remake, but I did see it, and I remember thinking it was pretty good. Not, like, amazing, but I I imagine it takes away the rawness of Romero's version. I'm sure it's refined. It doesn't look as cheap. Well, I would... would, Yeah, I would be surprised if it had the scale of Romero's version. Yeah, I don't... I don't have a clear memory of it. I I would like to rewatch it again, because I remember thinking it was pretty good, and... Any any reason to rewatch horror movies around this time of year? I'm all for. So, sure, sure. I saw Mad Love, which is a horror thriller kind of movie from 1935 with uh, Peter Lorre, and it's totally perverse, weird fucking movie mm. that it it's like kind of noirish, kind of horror, kind of thriller uh, about a man totally obsessed with this woman and he grafts the hands of a murderer onto her husband who's this famous pianist and it it's a very weird movie and it's very effective and it's very creepy and fun um 
So I saw that. I saw the Jinx finally. Oh yeah, that's good. Yes, it is. That's good for all the reasons people say it's good. Compelling as hell. Yep. Let's scare Jessica to death. I saw for the first time. I really, really love that. Rewatching that real soon. I saw Unfriended. I love that movie. I thought that movie uh, was incredible. I kind of got tired of the screaminess and the craziness by the like the last maybe twenty minutes. Once, I guess once the guy puts his spoiler alert, I probably shouldn't yet though. The hand goes somewhere. <laughs> the, the death scene. I I think I don't scene. think every part of. I don't think every part of this movie is equally effective as every other part, but I think there's no part of it that bothered me. I think I bought the characters, yeah. and I think, more importantly, I bought the scenario, and I think that it was super detailed and observed portrait of uh, communication um, through technology. And I will sit through any kind of mundane, mundane teenager stuff as long as the threat that a murder could happen anytime is present. Um, that's kind of why I like slasher movies to sure. begin with. And I thought every character in this was more relatable and more believable than, I don't know. I, there's a lot of slasher movies like uh, The Burning or uh, or Terror Train where it's these people who pulled a prank and then they get their comeuppance. You know, I think these characters were more relatable than any characters in those movies. Um, I didn't, I mean, it's just, it gets hysterical certainly, but I didn't find it overly hysterical i i just i bought it the whole time i thought that movie was really good i totally understand anyone who doesn't like unfriended but i totally like i liked it a lot more than i thought i did all right i would uh i listened to your podcast that you did with uh still watching the skies about the invasion of the body snatchers movies yeah um and i and i saw invasion the the nicole kidman daniel craig 2007 invasion of the body snatchers movie i like that uh I, uh, yeah, I was like, whoa, Patrick, look at you. Um, I'm going to rewatch it again. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know if you'll like... I mean, uh, the thing for me is with all of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers movies, the thing that is the most intriguing is passing, is the idea of, I, look, don't make a stink, uh, just be normal, act, act, without, act unemotional, and they can't tell that it's you. And to me, that's really intriguing because that's how I feel every day of my life. <laughs> like, like I feel like I'm just pretending to be a kind of person that I'm not because that's how you get stop people from looking at you and freaking out. So, yeah. like, a lot, a lot of that movie is dedicated to the idea of passing. And I find that really intriguing and I really like that a lot, especially considering it was partially rewritten by Lena Wachowski. You know, which is like if any if any if any ma- mainstream Hollywood writer uh, has has insight into the horrors of passing, it would be Lena Wachowski. I would kill for uh, a director's cut of this because that uh, that director got royally screwed on this whole thing. I mean, uh, I mean, you, you you did mention the car chase at the end, and uh, I I will concur that it is really well done. Um, I think I, you know what it is. It's just like my expectations for where it starts out, and the fact that she plays a psychiatrist. My brain gets all excited for commentary on pharmaceuticals and the way it's dehumanizing some people in some form or another. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not a, really what the movie is. No, I know. I and I and, you know, it's like uh, you kind of want uh, that social commentary, and it's there, but it's sort of 
buried more in this one, but you you seem to find more. It almost felt more like the commentary was what it felt like to be a liberal in post 9-11 America, where you... Because huh. <laughs> the funny thing about the pod people is that the first thing they do is they very detail like they just very specifically go and reverse every single one of Bush's policies. Like there's a sequence in which Nicole Kidman is with a bunch of pod people and they think that she is one of them. Um, and the TV is on and the news is just talking about all of these things that are like, oh, yeah, troops are being pulled out of Afghanistan and our relationships with Argentina or Venezuela have never been better. Hugo Chavez and George W. Bush are meeting like there's all this fucking shit that's like the exact opposite of what was actually going on politically in 2007. Hmm. So to me, the movie almost feels like the feeling of and this and this is you know, pretty well-worn territory as far as that era of Hollywood cinema goes, but that feeling of being smothered by the political sort of patriotism and that, that sort of bullshit, all that bullshit yeah. that went with the, with the war on terror and the, and the quote unquote fear of speaking out against it. I mean, I don't know. There was, there were a lot of films in that era that were trying to sort of make equations between that era and McCarthyism and that didn't actually pan out. Like at no point did anyone lose their jobs because they spoke out against Bush, you know, like John Stewart made a fucking career out of it. So it really, it really wasn't McCarthyism in that era, but it felt like sort of a Neo McCarthyism at the time for certain people. Um, and that's kind of what the movie feels like, what it's about to me. And it's it's interesting that pretty much all of all of humanity's problems are solved by the pod people. And that instead of an ambiguous, like, kind of downer ending that's in most of the movies, which is the pod people win, the sad ending at the end of that movie is the pod people lose. Like, the, the ending of that movie is, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I can, yeah, I can say for a fact that the pod, that that were that humanity is taking over again. And you know why? Because there's so many more deaths in Afghanistan this year, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's totally the ending of that movie. So I do like the ending quite a bit. I, I find that really interesting. It's a mess. There's no denying that's a, that movie's a fucking mess. I don't know if a director's cut would necessarily be any better or worse, but there's no denying the movie is just a weird mess. But I, I found it very interesting in a lot of ways. Yeah, that uh, rewatching that Kaufman version though is just that movie is amazing. Like I know, I know it gets rote and conventional with the with it becoming essentially a a chase picture, and I I still get a little restless for a bit. But um, God, I mean, we were we talked at length on on on, uh, still watching the skies about it, but um, rewatching that recently was like, oh my God, why didn't I always think this was the best one? Because I think it is. Uh, I'm curious, like, okay, I don't know if you listened to the Schrader episode yet, but, um... We, I listened to, like, the first 40 minutes or so. Um, we, um, later in the episode when we talk about the canyons, uh, do a little kind of diatribe on Brett Easton Ellis, and he doesn't have a whole, a lot of luck with producing his screenplays, and, um, they, they wind up not... The, the movies that he tries to make don't ever become what they what he wants them to become. And when I when I heard on his podcast that he was 
um, this was like, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, he was when he said the title of his movie, I was like, oh, what's this? The Curse of Downer's Grove. I saw that. What are you doing, Brett Easton Ellis? And um, I'm, I've heard it's pretty bad, and I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> Cause, and, and that's the thing, like, I, I just, nothing he's done, especially in the screenplay department, has impressed me at all. But just because <laughs> there's a movie called The Curse of Downer's Grove, I still feel compelled to watch it at some point in my life. Yeah, I mean it's it's fun to watch if you grew up in Illinois. I don't think yeah, you, I guess you, I don't think you didn't really grow up in Illinois. Uh kind of. You grew up in Indiana. For the most part, I grew up in Calumet City, Illinois until I was 8 and then moved to Indiana for my teenage years. Yeah, like I I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'd still get into this or whatever, but like it's kind of fun that it's in Downers Grove, but it's it's lame. It's a bad. Okay. It's it's like a I mean, this this is this movie was on the shelf for like two years or whatever before it was finally just kind of shuffled out there. Yeah, um, that happens. I don't I don't really have any kind of attachment at all to Brett Easton Ellis. I think he's just he seems like a prick, but I haven't read any of his books or anything. But just knowing him on social media or whatever, he just seems like an asshole, and I don't really care for him. But uh, it's I I I enjoy like I said about Unfriended. I enjoy or. And not necessarily unfriended. I forget what movie I was talking about, but anyway, I enjoy any movie. I can deal any with any amount of mundanity about like teenage mundanity if there's the threat of a murder happening at any time, and that's kind of what Curse of Downers Grove is, where it's just a lot of, well, I like you, but I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm going out to college. Should I like you? Should I date you? What does that mean? So like, this explains why you love my soul to take. I don't love my soul to take. <laughs> I don't, but I, but, I. but there is teenagers, and there's a threat of murder. Yeah, yeah, no, there's teenagers, but there's not enough mundanity in that movie. Oh yeah, that's true. But um, it, there's a lot of mundanity in Curse of Downers Grove, but it's an ugly movie. Like it's just poorly directed. Yep. There's. It, I wouldn't. I can't possibly recommend it. Though okay. it was fun watching it, knowing that area and just being like, oh yeah, like all of this feels very familiar to me. It's very Midwestern. I would say uh, if I was going to recommend one kind of obscure horror thriller, uh, I would recommend Hangover Square. I'm totally going to watch that real soon. Your description of it was like, oh, my God, this is Jim Nip right here. It's it's an love it. Hangover Square we saw for Noir City, and it's incredible. It's like a horror noir thriller where it's this guy who has these spells it's this composer and when he hears like a a a discordant note he goes insane and he blacks out and he may or may not be killing these people um and he is just obsessed with getting his sort of grand symphony finally produced and it's it's an incredible it has the greatest guy fox guy fox day scene of any movie it's 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 great you know, um, speaking of Letterboxd, your take on the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is pitch perfect, because uh, I completely 100% agree that the moment that the uh, couple goes towards the other house in search of gasoline, it could be the best sequence in horror movie history. Uh, I mean, I'm going to talk about this, obviously, at length with uh, Daniel Baldwin for the Toby Hooper episode, but just rewatching that the other night, I was like kind of paying attention now because you cited that specific moment and I was like, oh yeah, this is perfect. This is absolutely how you shoot a horror film. This is how you unnerve an audience 
and have a great payoff and slowly reveal things. And I just, I can't get over like how well, like the way the camera starts to glide. And uh, I mean, as, as things get crazier, the camera gets crazier. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Like this, as, as much as this film unnerves me and all that screaming is so deafening by the end, I have to watch it again <laughs> because like I want to point out specifics on how this movie gets things right so perfectly throughout. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, I mean, Regina, Regina had never seen it. So I was like, all right, well you have to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So we put it on and I was rewatching it and I, it always, especially this time around, like it always strikes me how much, people buy into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like it, it's a purported true story in the opening crawl. And that's not true. No, no it was but just like, inspired by the, Ed but there's a, stuff, right? Right. But there's a lot of films and a lot of stuff that is quote unquote, based on a true story that is not actually based on a true story. And that, but people really buy into this and you, you see the phrase like documentary, like kind of being bandied about a lot. And I don't, think that's actually true i think that's more just a testament to how much people believe texas chainsaw massacre as it's happening because it isn't a documentary like there's there uh you know there yeah there's there's gliding uh sort of pans and there's dollies and there's there the camera movement is actually quite sophisticated especially in the the first half of the movie and you know there there's that real like you, there's no documentary in which they would follow a girl getting up off of a porch, this this sort of swing set slash bench thing, and the camera slides under the bench as it's following her. You know, there's like that's not a documentary. Like that's 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 someone with a vision and someone who's trying to tell a story visually. They're doing and, it so well, like so, at, at the same time, I yeah, I, sor- I sort of realize that I'm kind of a glutton for artists that kind of exhume their rawest anxieties for me to sort of chew on. And I think Hooper at the time was becoming a vegetarian and he was learning about how meat was packaged and he learned, and he learned oh, about really? Gein and there was all, you know, obviously Vietnam stuff. So all like, it was just the perfect marriage of all these things going on inside of his mind at the time. And he channeled all of his anxieties into this movie and, you can feel it throughout, and that's kind of what I'm. I live for when uh, a director can ch- channel that so beautifully. Um, and like I said, this movie is it, it freaks me the fuck out. It gives me nightmares. It's uh, you know it, it, it you know makes me bite my nails throughout the entire thing practically. But yet it's an experience I don't mind reliving, which I don't know what that says about me, but <laughs> uh, I think it's really just me being in awe of the craft. More than just like, oh my god, I can't wait to relive, you know, people getting tortured. It's yeah. just the, uh, just how he did everything so well and never really did that again throughout his career. Yeah, it's, that is kind of the oddest thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is how much, <laughs> is is how no other Toby Hooper movie, and there are people who disagree, there are people who are really into Eaten Alive and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and a couple of other ones he's done, you know. But for the most part, most people agree that there's really nothing in his filmography that even touches Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it's 
it's just one of those odd uh, sort of just events yeah. that happened and everyone involved just kind of came together and accidentally accidentally did this crazy thing and it's sort of you know it's kind of you know we 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 had the directors club and and we talked about different directors and to a certain extent you have to entertain auteur theory um you know when you're talking about directors because you're talking about the similarities between their films and sort and sort of the through lines that you find but it's kind of ultimately you know why I'm not an auteurist is because I really do think that just like blind luck plays so much of a huge factor into films because there's just so many moving parts that you have to wrangle together and there's so much stuff going on and everything contributes to everything. And then what you come out with is sometimes the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and sometimes it's deranged, you know, sometimes it's like that, a terrible uh, grindhouse, just, just garbage piece of crap, like deranged or, you know, or, or, or something like that. Um, it's amazing how it, that can happen. <laughs> like even with, you know, uh, Scorsese and Schrader and De Niro getting together for something like ta- Taxi Driver, where all the, everything was just in its right place, and everybody yeah. was in the right frame of mind to make something like that at the time. Exactly. It's like, would, would that movie be as good if Paul Schrader had total control? No. Would that movie be as good as if Martin Scorsese had total control? No. Would that movie have been as good if it was, you know, Robert De Niro's project? No. Like that. That's just this crazy alchemy, and they just kind of lucked out that they were all in the right place for Taxi Driver to happen. And you know, I, they, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the greatest films ever made, and Eaten Alive is you know kind of a dis- entertaining in a dirty disreputable way <laughs> but well i will find not- that out i will find that out cuz there's a lot of movies i have not seen from him obviously i still champion his invaders from mars remake but i also champion it in a campy way like i i will right. acknowledge that it's not a great film but you just enjoy it you just have yeah. fond memories of it correct you should see the original invaders from mars as well i will no, I'm also going to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, even though I remember hating it. Um, There's a few very good moments in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. There's a few moments yeah. where they're able to punch through the Platinum Dunes, kind of over-explaining everything and the garbage yeah. and the garbage-looking filmmaking. They're able- There's uh, the one shot in particular is when you see the clotheslines with all the white sheets. It's like there's like a five-second mo. It's like five seconds of this, you know. M- you know, a hundred something minute film that to me totally redeems the movie. I really love uh, when Leatherface is chasing someone through these clotheslines. So keep an eye out for that, I guess. But I refuse to dive into the entire Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. I know you just watched part three. I watched the first 30 minutes of part three and I gave up. And I, okay. and I sort of felt like maybe I should stop watching movies. Like, I was so depressed by watching that. I have a morbid curiosity about the Matthew McConaughey one, just because it's Matthew McConaughey. That, that's, but, be, that's better than part three. Matthew McConaughey, I, I, I'm sure. Matthew McConaughey is sort of, I, I like him better in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation, uh, than, than in a lot of quote unquote like mainstream Matthew McConaughey films because I think he's kind of best as a predator of some sort. Um mm. and he was kinda And yet you didn't yet you didn't like Killer Joe. Well no I didn't like Killer Joe but that's not I liked him in it. Okay. I just I just thought that movie was 
kind of garbage and gross for grossness sake. Um, I didn't, I didn't see my, I mean, <laughs> it, it's not as if like Texas Chainsaw Massacre part four exactly has a ton of meaning behind its growth, right. behind its grossness, but at least it knows what it is. Whereas I felt like Killer Joe was trying to say something about the quote unquote family unit. And I don't think it said anything about the quote unquote family unit. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to tell. I think the playwright definitely does. I don't know about Freakin's intent at all. Because um, it didn't come across that way in the end. I just, I don't know why. I think it was just like a, a, a reaction to the the crazy antics on screen and the audience just sort of like in shock of what they were watching. Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes when I'm, when I'm watching a movie and I, I'm not like 100% loving it, but then when the audience is kind of despising it or they're really turned off by it, I kind of I don't necessarily uh, I find that interesting. Like I, so, you're a like sadist. Some, you're a sadist. You enjoy watching other people squirm. I guess so. In certain situations, and that still stems to watching Magnolia with a crowd that hated it. I guess it's just there's something in me that's like I'm Mister Nonconformist. So I, I I guess if this audience is really hating it, part of me kind of loves that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at least that the, there's a, a movie that can provoke in in a way so i mean i give props to most filmmakers that do that and even if it's somebody like rob zombie um hey you know it it gets a reaction out of people and that's a good thing did you ever see lords Uh, of salem yeah no i I actually didn't hate it i think i gave it two stars out of five so there were uh there were a lot of redeeming things about it Um, you just you you almost hated it Eh, I might watch it again if I'm bored someday. But I, I was just uh, impressed that, like, oh, uh, you know, his wife isn't grating on me throughout the entire movie for once. And, uh, you know, the whole radio station thing, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool setup. Um, it becomes a little messy towards the end, mm-hmm. uh, like most Rob Zombie's movies do. But, um yeah, no, I I remember going, you know what? That wasn't horrible. I didn't feel like turning that off or uh throwing things at the at the screen. So, so good, good for you, Rob so, Zombie. What 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 movie what directors are you doing for October? Uh just um Toby Hooper and Stuart Gordon. Okay, so you're doing Stuart Gordon as well. Yeah, and I just rewatched Edmund and I still don't know if I like it. I I, I, I hated that one, but that's 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 I, me. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll talk. Me and me and Gabe are gonna hash it out over that one. I think I don't know how he feels about it at all, but um, there are people who hate it. There are people who love it. Um, I'm still torn, and I think I will always be torn by it. And it, it's interesting just thinking back, even though I don't have a strong memory of what was said, but um, you know, a, a black gentleman in the audience of Edmund. After the after the you know the screening or after you know when the closing credits came up, and William H Macy, and actually the uh, actor that William H Macy attacks in the alleyway was there mm-hmm. in attendance for the screening. They both had to justify this movie to this black gentleman who stood up and you know voiced his hatred of the movie of the dialogue. Uh, he felt it was one of the meanest movies he's ever seen and could not understand why anybody would want to make it. 
um, and and the sad thing is, is like I just remember this happening, but I don't specifically remember what you know Macy and the other actor was said in defense. And ever since then, I'm like, I need to see what Mammoth's intent was. Like, I need to read something, like, even if it's from 82, what he was trying to convey. Because most Mammoth's films are pretty clear to me. This one is kind of like a head-scratcher, in a way. Like, I mean, I guess this is just a hateful protagonist. You know, he talks about hating black people, and he talks about, you know, hating gays at one point. And then at the end... He sort of gets his comeuppance by being thrown in jail and, uh, you know, has to, you know, live out the rest of his life with, you know, being, uh, you know, with a black gentleman (laughs) and, you know, sucking his dick. But then again, but he seems to, like, have redemption, not redemption, I guess, but um, he sort of comes to terms with that, I guess, at the very end and sort of has a loving relationship with the, this prisoner as well so that's why I'm like I don't know what to make of it and I don't know if it's worth uh, deconstructing at all because of the mixed feelings I have throughout it I do like the I, I mean I do like the Julia Stiles William H. Macy scene because that's like pure mammoth that's like only yeah. mammoth stuff yeah yeah where it's just like two two characters you know you know waxing philosophical together so I, I love that shit but um, a lot of it is really just like eh, for the most part. Like I'm, it's a it's a huge disappointment in in terms of Mammoth's work in general. I think. But um, it's interesting because like I just Google him for the heck of it, and I I, I find out that uh, he was supposed to have a movie come out this year, but I guess it's been pushed back, and it stars Kate Blanchett. Um, and it's another another puzzle con movie, if you can believe it. So. Is it based on a play? I'm or is it based on a play or is it an original screenplay? It's a, it's a, it's another Spartan type movie. I think it's just a, an original screenplay of his. Cool, cool. I mean, I like David Mamet as a director. David Mamet did not direct Edmund. I think, I think probably. I don't know. I don't know about Edmund because. Yeah. I don't know what his intent was. I feel like I know what his intent was, and I feel it doesn't justify all the hate speech in the movie. Uh, or at That's least how I feel the earnestness of the hate speech. Um, and I certainly hate the ending, but whatever. I'm, yeah. I'm not a, I, I'm, I'm not qualified to really deconstruct all that and pull that all that apart and actually say whether or not it's offensive or whatever. Like, I, I don't know. I hated it. I thought it was offensive. Yeah. And on the flip side though, you should try and see Stuart Gordon stuck. Because that's another that's a movie that's sort of commenting on the ugliness of humanity. That's it, based on a true story, and it's really great. It's like that. It's like Edmund done right in a way. It's just it shows how ugly and callous and evil people can be. It's like a you know psychological horror movie of sorts in which um, a, a woman on the way home is texting and. She winds up hitting a bum, and he gets uh, stuck in the windshield of her car, and craziness ensues from there. That's all I'm going to say. But it's based on true story, and it's 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 something special. Yeah, maybe so, I'll see it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not the world's biggest Stuart Gordon fan. I mean, I res- I respect I respect him as an artist. I respect his place in the history of theater. You know, he. 
he he founded the Organic Theater Company. Yeah. He was the first person to ever put on a, a David Mamet play. You know, he you know he founded the theater company that Joe Montana and Dennis Franz and all these people were part of. So like, I respect all that, but. I I mean, and I love Reanimator, obviously, but I'm not the biggest Stuart Gordon fan outside of Reanimator, so maybe I'll maybe I'll check all that out. I like I like From Beyond quite a bit, um, and I still haven't seen Dolls, but I know Gabe loves that one, so we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting October. Hopefully, uh, an interview will come out at the end of the month or so, and we got your October. Halloween special mm-hmm. and, I'm, and, and, out. and my bonus episode with Robert Reinecke about anthology horror movies as well. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited for that. There's a, there's a couple I, I noticed when you were logging them on Letterboxd that I have not seen that I kind of want to. Like what? The, I, I can't remember. Was it Dead of Night? Is well, yeah, yeah. Dead of Night is notoriously known as sort of the first anthology horror movie, even though you know, it's predated by something like a silent film like Waxwork, but yeah. Okay. Dead, yeah, of, Dead I, of Night's I, way worth seeing. It's very good. Yeah. Um, it didn't look easy to find. Yeah, I found it. <laughs> I, I found it somewhere on the internet. Okay. I will uh, do some hunting. It's, it's, but, uh, it's easier to find in Region 2 than it is in Region 1. I'll say that much. I see. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll definitely look for it, and I'm excited to see it. There's... Uh, I'm imagine a creep show. There's a creep show mention. Um, yeah, yeah, we get into creep show a little bit. Okay. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Uh, I I watched that, but that's not one of the ones we discussed. Okay. It's it's really only worth noting because it rips off the ending. One of the last story of Tales of the Dark Side rips off the ending of quite one of the stories in Quidon. Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah, have you That's seen sh- have you seen that- Quidon? No, I haven't. Well, you know, get a bottle of wine, sort of have a nice block of time set out. It's a long movie. Watch Quidon. It's it's gorgeous and heartbreaking. Quidon is quite long. No, that didn't work at all. No. <laughs> um I don't You know what? This is your podcast. I don't have any say on that anymore. You can make all the puns you want, Jim. I can't yell at you. I'm a guest. I've, prob- I've probably made less since you've been gone. So so this whole time, you were only doing it to annoy me. Probably. Okay. That's nice to know. Thanks. Yeah, I, I know. It, it's okay. I just, uh, you know, I, I know you're missed. and uh, But at the same time, you're not completely absent, and that's good, too. No, 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 no. Uh, like, you're going to hopefully be on... For the Michael Curtiz episode mm-hmm. I do with Sergio, mm-hmm. um, so that'll happen later in the year, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. And next year's next year's going to be interesting. I, I keep getting a flood of requests. Um, well, not a flood. I shouldn't. I shouldn't exaggerate. Uh, I gotten uh, about six requests total, so um, I'm going to consider those from other people. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what the future holds. I I, I gotta say I, I I can't give this up. I I love podcasting too much. Um, I, I hope to talk with other you know people that I respect and admire. I uh, yeah, man, I can't I can't get enough of this podcasting thing, you know, because it's not quite reality. 
It's like a totally filtered reality, you know? Yeah. It's like I can pretend everything's not quite the way it is by filtering it through microphones and RSS feeds. Are you? you know, I, I, I want to make podcasts, Heather. I mean, I mean, I mean, Patrick. You know, isn't that what we're here to do? I do. Um, you're building towards something. I don't know what you're referencing, but I'm enjoying it nonetheless. Okay, good. Um, Who's Heather in this situation? That's uh. I think I was referencing another found footage horror movie that we both love. Oh, the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now yeah. I see what you're doing. Cool. Okay. It's not quite reality. Awesome. Um. So, uh, anyone still listening? Uh, uh. Number one, congratulations. Don't know why you're listening to this episode that Jim Spring Dummy. Number two, uh. Send in your top ten horror movie lists to Directors Club Podcast at gmail dot com. Your top ten list cannot can contain any movie that we've previously mentioned if you're not sure what movies we've mentioned you go to bit.ly forward slash dc horror and you will see a complete letterbox list of every single movie we mentioned on the last episode um including and including all the movies that we didn't mention on the last episode because they were banned to begin with like exorcist and alien and dawn of the dead and things like that so uh send in those lists and that way we'll be able to do another one Ooh, scary stuff, kids. Can't wait for that episode. Um, Count Floyd? Is this Count y- Floyd now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Caught on quick. You know, I started watching Persona the other day. <laughs> Speaking of oh, Count Floyd, <laughs> That's a good reference. The, 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 the very best episode of SCTV with Count Floyd on it is the oh, one where he shows God. that Persona parody. And he goes, well, look, depression <laughs> and ennui. That's really scary stuff, kids. <laughs> that's actually it actually has some sort of insight into horror and why i find movies like uh apocalypse now more scary than most horror movies is 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 this sort of existential panic that goes behind them i started to watch persona guess what persona kind of impenetrable uh i'll have to try it, try again i have a big sort of list of shame i've set up on letterboxd of all the movies that i wish i've seen that i haven't seen um, among them, you know, being Persona, and I'm my goal for next year, since I don't have a podcast to do, is I'm just going to try to see it as many of those as humanly possible. Oh, that's great! And I might, if I, you know, if I if I try hard, I can wipe the whole list of shame off my list. I and sure then, hope uh, the movie A Low Down Dirty Shame is on your list. It's not on my list. It, okay. uh, is that the John Waters movie? I don't think it is. I think that's just a dirty shame. There's another movie called A Low Down Dirty Shame, if I recall, from the early 90s, maybe? Martin Lawrence? Oh, I think I've seen that. Is, is, uh, what's his name in that, too? Uh, the, uh, friend of Jack Black, who, Bob Roberts, man. Bob Roberts? (laughs) Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins. I think Tim Robbins is in that, too. Really? Yeah. I've seen that. Uh... You know, um, yeah, I think that's a Keenan Ivory movie, actually. Okay, then I haven't seen okay. it. Charles S. Dutton. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I would want to encourage everybody that um, despite Patrick completely dropping off the face of social media, he nothing to lose. Nineteen ninety-seven. That's, what you're that's of, the movie. Yeah, yeah. 
with Martin Lawrence and Tim Robbins. That's the one I've right. seen. Right. I think I saw that too. I don't remember a thing about it. But um yeah, I think people really need to go ahead and follow Patrick on Letterboxd because that's where he's at, and he writes more reviews than I do, and he does it very well sometimes. Most of the time. I'd say 95% of the time, Patrick's reviews are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So I think people should read those. What, what reviews did you find amazing? Well, what what have I ever written that didn't completely change your life? Uh, the Texas Chainsaw one that I cited earlier was quite good. Uh, you, you know, just mm-hmm. just look for my likes. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> Never mind. No, uh, you know what you're talking about still, and you know what you're writing about. So keep it up, and uh, I'm excited for you to uh, sporadically pop up when you can. And uh, where, where, what, is, what is your letterbox, Patrick? It's just Patrick Rapol. It's just letterbox.com slash Patrick Rapol. Ah. And um, the website for this podcast is directorsclubpodcast.com. And um, send those emails in at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. The next official episode will be very soon. Say, um couple weeks here with daniel baldwin and we're going to talk toby hooper uh i believe early in the episode we're going to talk just briefly about the passing of wes craven including uh a brief discussion on a couple of twilight zone episodes that he did in the uh mid 80s that i'm quite fond of so look forward to that everybody and uh I'm sorry, what Twilight Zone episodes? Uh, he did one with uh, Bruce Willis and another with Melinda Dillon that uh, actually scared the shit out of me as a kid. But um, if you watch it now, it's actually one of the fakest looking special effects you'll ever see. I'll send, I'll send, you, I'll send you the episode. You need- Shatterday? Is it Shatterday and A Little Peace and Quiet? A Little Peace and Quiet is one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes from the 80s. Um. I'm totally into those amazing stories and the Twilight Zones. I don't remember anything about Tales from the Dark Side from the 80s, but... Uh, I I liked, I prefer uh, Tales from the Dark I I recently rented a bunch of uh, Outer Limits from yeah, my store. Yeah, I need to watch some of those. Uh, you know, the thing about Outer Limits is they were hour-long shows, yeah. so their pace, is, their pace is way off. They feel like just kind of B-movies more than they feel like... Because they're fifth. Because I mean, back then an hour-long show was fifty like four minutes of programming, so like they feel like programmer kind of B movies more than they feel like concise little anthology episodes. The way that Twilight Zone, which was a thirty-minute time slot, like the way that that was. Hmm. So Tales from the Dark Side that was a thirty-minute show. I enjoyed that quite a bit. I don't know about the new Twilight Zone or the amaz- what Amazing Stories was, but. I prefer the 30-minute anthology show. Yeah. Um, you should watch Amazing Stories just because it's such a relic for, for the Amblin period. And a lot of directors got their start on there, even if some of those episodes are really lame. Uh, it's worth seeing. And sometimes it's, it's, is, that on, is that on Netflix? It used to be. I don't think it is anymore. Okay, well, I guess I'll see it someday. We don't have that at my store, so... But it's, yeah, it's interesting. And um, 
that uh, that Wes Craven episode, I can send you a YouTube link for it real quick because it's really interesting. It's 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 totally up my alley. But uh, that ending, for some reason, because it's uh, I won't give it away, obviously, but uh, it it just scared the shit out of me as a kid. Like it's one of those things that you see when you're young that just like the idea of it is scary. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like the memory of the final image is much scarier in my head than it actually is in reality. So, and rewatching it uh, last year, I kind of went, "Oh my god, that is so fake!" <laughs> but um, it's great, and he, I thought Craven did a really great job with that episode. And rest in peace, man. Well, we're going to talk. Me and Daniel will talk about him very briefly um, at the top of the. Uh, Toby Hooper show, which will be coming up soon, everybody. Thanks, Patrick, for um, I know I know that I I know this was a little intrusive and unexpected. Yes, yes. But um, thanks for being a good sport. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, I'm sorry I was drunk. <laughs> you caught again. me again. Again, yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and I will happily see you very soon in a couple weeks.